Welcome back to STG Talks. We're your hosts, Kevin and James, based in Chicago and Scotland, and we're here to inspire you to take action towards achieving the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Each week's episode, we will be talking with changemakers about their grassroots and global initiatives related to the 2030 Agenda. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode, and please be sure to check out the show notes for links and further reading. Technology, um, when you don't have it, obviously there's a lack of equity, but when you do have it, what it can open up when it is meaningfully used and meaningfully planned into teaching and learning can really help students develop, coming back to our earlier point, those transferable skills, those skills of the future, ready for this VUCA, this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, uh, their soft skills, their intercultural skills, uh, their empathy, respect, their critical thinking. SDG Talkers, welcome back. Today, you're going to hear from Lottie Dallin, who's a primary trained educator who's traveled the globe and taught in several contexts around the world. Lottie is super passionate about building global citizenship in meaningful, authentic ways through intercultural experiences, and now is the manager at MEG, which is where they leverage technology to create global citizens. I created this podcast with Lottie the week before the Educate Conference, and then this is now posted after the Educate Conference, which was hosted on Clubhouse and pretty much was 48, 48 straight hours of fire content around education, the SDGs, tips and tricks and best practices for the classroom. And it was so much value. Make sure to check out and follow Lottie and all the other groups on the Educate World Conference on Clubhouse. I know you're going to enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoy creating. And always remember to keep on SDG talking. Lottie Dowling, welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. How are you doing today? Thanks, Kevin. Very excited to be here. Um, down in cloudy Melbourne. We have um, four seasons in one day down here. So today it's cloudy, but no doubt it'll be sunny and rainy and everything else in the next few hours. <laughs> I've also heard in Melbourne, when by just leaving your house, there are a combination of like 20 different things that could possibly kill you from insects and animals of some sorts. Is that, is that true? Not, not anywhere as bad as the Northern Territory with the crocodiles and spiders, but uh, it's probably the pollen. It's probably the pollen in Melbourne that's going to get you. Ooh, <laughs> yes. So definitely need some Claritin or some, some medicine for that. But so uh, thanks for joining us here. I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know you within the whole Clubhouse realm. You know, shout out to Clubhouse and the audio space of uh, connecting people around the world. Um, but I, one thing I'm really excited about is just your background with education and the intersection of the SDGs. And, and for those of us that, that don't really know much about you or, or Lottie Dowling, um, just give me a kind of a 30,000 foot overview of who you are and, and some of the background to the, the company and the projects you're aligned with. Yeah, awesome. Uh, well, I grew up in New Zealand um, and I think that's had a very big impact on, on my sort of purpose and direction in life for a few different reasons. Um, I went off and became a primary school teacher, um, mainly because my, my father said to me, you've got to go and get a meal ticket. You've got to get a real job, you know, and scared the living daylight out of me. So, yeah, off I went. I did like kids, so that was a good start. And um, I remember as a child, just being in New Zealand, pre-internet, of course, you know, it's hard to remember that those days exist and some of us existed <laughs> without the internet growing up. Um, just looking at library books, just going to the library, I was a real nerd, and looking at library books and looking at these pictures of kids and families and other countries and cultures and just having this kind of deep 
longing to understand the world, um, wanting to kind of step into the book and, and understand these people. I remember feeling frustrated with that kind of two-dimensionness of that experience. Um, and I had a godfather who was in China. He used to send me gifts uh, from China and these kind of exotic gifts like scrolls, you know, Chinese scrolls and um, ethnic minority dolls. And my sort of imagination would sort of go crazy thinking, oh, my goodness, there's this amazing world out there. Um, so I grew up with this kind of deep longing to understand the world beyond little old New Zealand. And of course, the internet sort of came along and, you know, that was a great start. Um, but I was a primary school teacher. I taught in New Zealand. Um, and then I kind of put a backpack on and I just went all over the world. I traveled very extensively. I did some volunteer teaching in India. Uh, I did a little bit of uh, work in London on and off and inner city gritty schools there where I found everything very confronting, um, but also was very kind of cognizant that, you know, very multicultural communities, but was observing an education system that was not working for them and was not fit for purpose for those kids in those communities um, in a way that I had been aware of in New Zealand and some communities, but not in the intensity of what it was. So that was kind of very confronting. And then I went off and I taught at Dulwich College in Beijing for six years at an international school in a very privileged uh, school, completely the opposite. Uh, after that, I, I was ready for a new adventure. I, I jumped ship and I went off and worked for the Department of Education in Beijing, China, uh, working on a teacher training pilot project. And this was really interesting because this was my first experience working with teachers from another culture. I was in local Chinese schools working with them, and I really started to understand uh, the Chinese education system inside out. I, I learned more in those sort of three and a half years uh, in Chinese schools about Chinese culture and certainly about Chinese education than I had the previous six working at an international school in the same city. So that was amazing. I learned a lot about intercultural understanding, working cross-culturally. I made a lot of mistakes. I uh, had a lot of laughs along the way and uh, was ready to kind of come towards home. So I jumped on a plane, came back down to Melbourne, started working at the Asia Education Foundation, uh, where I was working in schools to develop essentially what they call Asia capabilities, uh, which is, you know, uh, part of global citizenship. So doing a lot of student programs, taking teachers abroad into country um, to develop their own intercultural understanding, uh, learning modules online. And then now I'm over at MEG uh, where we do Chinese and Spanish culture and language programs to kids across Australia, uh, the UK, the USA, uh, in little old New Zealand, um, and our teachers are in country. So we're working with kids who might be in the middle of nowhere, uh, they might be in a big city, and they're having an interaction with someone from another country, another culture every week of the school year and learning a language alongside it. Wow, Lali, you've, you've touched so many different aspects within the education realm, and I think that, that gives you such a unique perspective in terms of uh, some of these challenges and opportunities that we'll talk about from SDG 4 and, and the whole intersection of the SDGs. Uh, but I wanted to read everyone uh, your, your LinkedIn tagline, which I then want to break down. is Lottie's tagline on LinkedIn is passionate about building global citizenship in meaningful, authentic ways through intercultural experiences and whole school transformation. And that, that last phrase really stuck out to me, whole school transformation. Um, in your last 
comments, he talked about how vastly different those experiences were from the different types of school programs. And sometimes we have these school systems in place that are just there. It's what they, it's what we've always done. That's the way that these programs have been in place. And it's just kind of the way we teach. And I, I feel like oftentimes we, different societies resort back to what we know, even if that was, is the wrong thing and completely inefficient. Um, so that whole school transformation term that, that seems very powerful and I like it. Uh, but like what, what does that mean? And I, I kind of want to ask you, like, how, how do you actually go about accomplishing or uh, you know, making progress towards whole school transformation? Yeah, what a, what a big, powerful idea, right? Well, I mean, you've touched on this idea that the world is changing. It's changing so fast and it's changing faster than it's ever changed before. Um, and we have these driving forces uh, that are making things move really, really fast. And globalization and the flip side of that is the sustainability is obviously one of those big ones. Now, the question that we kind of have to ask ourselves as educators is, are our students going to be ready for this world? And, you know, we're talking in another 10 years, 15 years for some of them. So some of them, it's a few years away. Is the world going to look very sort of similar to what it's looking now? Um, we know it's, it's a VUCA world. We know it's volatile. It's uncertain. It's co- complex. It's ambiguous. Um, we know that we're going through, you know, the Anthropocene. I always say that word wrong. Um, but, you know, we're impacting uh, the planet and sustainability. We also know that um, we're going through the fourth industrial revolution. So, what does that look like in schools? And this is the big question that passionate educators everywhere, the brightest minds in education on our planet are really asking ourselves, how do we redesign education systems to make sure our students not only survive, they thrive, they own their, you know, their existence and um, they're kind of, you know, rocking it out there. So, what does whole school transformation look like? It's a great question. And first first and foremost, you know, schools and, and principals and educators have to understand the world that the students are entering. They have to understand these driving forces. And um, there's something called resistance to change. And I think as humans, many of us are in some ways resistant to change. Um, change is uncomfortable. Change is messy. Change is uncertain. Uh, We have to be comfortable making mistakes um, and we have to own those mistakes. Um, But if we don't make change, then we're not going to get the gains as well, right? So I do work with schools um, around understanding this kind of bigger picture, but sort of more deeply looking at a plan and putting together an, an action plan to develop global citizenship across a whole school. Now, often schools will um, have a languages program, which is so, so important. And, you know, places like um, Europe do this really, really well. You know, many kids in parts of the USA and, and other countries, they come out multilingual. And when you know, we know when students are multilingual, they have intercultural understanding. They understand different ways of being, you know, when you speak another language the way that you it's not just the way you communicate the way that you are is different um so so they it, it automatically and implicitly understand intercultural well um intercultural kind of dialogue if they're uh, speaking another language but you know we can be developing global citizenship and a whole school transformation beyond languages there is so much that schools could be doing to build global citizenship 
in, as I said in LinkedIn, meaningful ways, authentic ways, because, um, you know, one of the failures of the education system, particularly with exams and stuff, is we've had standardisation. And um, our schools and our communities are different. And we need to make sure that the education that they're getting is unique to their community. It is authentic so the students understand why they're learning what they're learning. They're seeing themselves um, in the texts, in the subjects. They're linking it to their own communities. And it's not this abstract idea. It's this kind of we're learning about something that happened, you know, 200 years ago and something that I kind of can't connect with. Um, There's nothing wrong with learning about history. It's really important, of course, uh, but we need to kind of contextualize it. And how, how does it relate to me and my community and my future and my world? And I think for a lot of students who are disengaged, the reason they're disengaged is because education is not designed or tailored or meeting their needs. It's something thrust upon them, um, you know, by external bodies like education boards uh, and, you know, exam boards, and they're kind of forced to kind of meet sort of certain requirements and even parental requirements as well. So there's heaps. There's heaps of things schools could be doing to make changes beyond a languages program. Um, And I'd happily kind of talk to some of those points, but I feel like I might have answered the question. Yeah, it, well, yes, but I know you could answer it in probably 10 other ways. So thank you for that. Um, and when you were speaking too about and mentioned the kind of intercultural, multicultural lens uh, and how important it is, I, I had the fortune of, of traveling to, to China and, and living there for four months as well. And I think just sort of living like a, a China, living the Chinese culture and in, in trying to be a fly in the wall there and really kind of seeing it, feeling it and trying to develop as much empathy and, and kind of living a day in the shoes there gave me a lot of context in terms of just like the speed of life, how people wake up, what do they think about, what do they, how do they eat, how do they, how do they drink, how do they walk, all these little things that go into just how is the Eastern culture so much different than my Western culture that I grew up with. And it gave me a lot of context just realizing that the world is so vast and there are so many different ways of, of operations and particularly school, uh, education. How do we actually teach people? And I think that is sometimes maybe a bit overwhelming. And I think people can think, well, hey, uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is the way that we do things in, um, in Peru. This is the way that we do things in New Zealand. This, it's just the way things are. Um, it's different. And that's fine. But that doesn't mean we can't evolve looking at and leveraging aspects of the internet leveraging new partnerships. And one thing that has I mentioned earlier in the call that has really changed my perspective on the world has been this app Clubhouse. Clubhouse has really given me this opportunity to connect with other like-minded people where if you have an interest, you can find a certain group of topic and, and meet and interact with people for free. Um, like how great you, you were mentioning earlier, you'd go to the library and you'd just like read these books and you were starving for more. And now, if you got a smartphone, a couple clicks of a button, you can be connected with people in, in every country. Um, and so I, I wanted uh, to hear your thoughts in terms of um, a little bit about technology um, mm-hmm. in, in the education realm. And, then, and maybe if you could parlay that into um, giving us some context on the, the upcoming Educate SDGs for Global Citizen, Citizenship Conference. Um, I know we're, that's going to be part leverage on Clubhouse. So um, if you want to just... Maybe kind of first give me a little high-level overview of your thoughts on technology, where it stands with EdTech today, and then um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the upcoming conference this, this next week. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, as you said, you know, having 
face-to-face interactions with people of other countries and cultures is so rich and so deep. Um, And if we can have those, we're really lucky. But unfortunately, that's not equitable. There's many people in the world that, you know, are still meeting their basic needs and and aren't going to be able to jump on planes and go to other parts of the world um, to have interactions with other people from other countries and cultures. We are lucky. Uh, to have technology because we can be using this um, most places in the world, not everywhere. And we've seen this with the digital divide over the pandemic uh, has access to uh, technology, a large part of humanity in some way, whether it's a, a smartphone and that's increasing as well. Obviously, you know, that's something that still needs to be addressed. Um, you know, at Meg, our students, zoom in with a a person on the other side of the world and um, I was talking to a teacher the other day and she was talking about some of the kind of messages that's been in the media and in the news about certain countries and cultures Um, and if we don't have those first-hand experiences with people from other places how do we know uh, that that is the reality and the truth and it's not just a biased media story um, which unfortunately we've seen a lot of since the pandemic in particular um, so having real relationships with people uh, is so important and having those um, real connections so of course zoom here we are you know zooming um, and we can do that with our language and culture lessons at Meg um, but beyond that we can be connecting our students to other places in the world we can be connecting classrooms and this is something else that I'm, I'm really passionate about is global collaboration for students and global collaborative global collaborative projects um, whether that's synchronous you know in time or across time asynchronous um, whether it's a, a one-off experience whether they kind of jump on a mystery Skype with a classroom on the other side of the world or they have a sort of an ongoing relationship across time, across a year with other students in other parts of the world. Um, technology is a huge tool uh, for good, a tech for good tool, uh, depending on how we choose to use it. Um, so I think those two kind of aspects of it are um, something that I'm sort of really seeing um, positive, positive aspects to. I guess the other thing about tech is um, there's always a flip side to everything, right? There's the digital divide, and we've seen that a lot of places during the pandemic have not had access to technology. Saying that, um, if you do have access to technology, and I would say, um, you know, in Australia, um, a lot of most places have access to the internet. You can be in the middle of nowhere, you can be in a small rural town, and you can still be accessing, for example, you know, a languages program. You can still be connecting with a classroom in India. You can still be connecting with students in China. You can be um, connecting with students in other parts of your own country. So it's an equity piece as well. Technology, um, when you don't have it, obviously there's a lack of equity, but when you do have it, what it can open up when it is meaningfully used and meaningfully planned into teaching and learning can really help students develop, coming back to our earlier point, those transferable skills, those skills of the future, ready for this VUCA, this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, uh, their soft skills, their intercultural skills, uh, their empathy, respect, their critical thinking, all of those skills that they can be developing. And how exciting, you know? They're not me when I was eight looking at a library book feeling frustrated. There they are having a having a chat to a student on the other side of the world or, or an adult. Yeah, how, how times have changed. And, and like I like how you mentioned where obviously there is a digital divide, but 
when we can get the technology in the hands of the students in the right place at the right time with the correct programs, it's amazing what can happen. Uh, and I think that also one of the other challenges I'm sure you've talked about as well, sometimes tech is good. It can also maybe create challenges and, and obstacles from an implementation standpoint. I mean, frankly, in some regards, buying the tech is easy, but actually implementing it uh, and extracting value out of it and making sure that students are learning from it, I know is a huge challenge. Um, anything you can speak to in regards to like actually um, overcoming technology hurdles and implementing them in a way that's now um, extracting value as opposed to kind of making it something that's creating more of a challenge? Yeah, I, I think it is overwhelming for educators um, and probably, pe- you know, t- general people as well. But I know educators are somewhat overwhelmed with the, the, the plethora of platforms and ed tech platforms that are out there. Um, so I would just kind of really encourage, uh, one of the things that I'm really big on is PLNs or PLCs, personal learning, sorry, professional learning networks or communities, um, you know, create a, a PLN or a PLC and Clubhouse is a great place to do that um, where you can find like-minded educators where you can get advice and insights, you can share your experience. Um, Twitter is a, is a big space as well and there's Facebook groups. And we have one for going global, actually. Um, but, yeah, just to try and kind of find out what people are actually using and how how they're using it. I think really seeking out really good professional learning for educators um, and really I think we're kind of past this now, but I think for a long time for educators there's been the kind of razzle-dazzle of tech. It probably still exists. Um, you know, you've got this great new program and that becomes the point of the lesson versus seeing it as a tool. What are we trying to achieve with this tech? You know, uh, we could use a pencil and paper, maybe. Maybe that's just as great as this drawing machine, the, the Sampar model. Um, you know, is it just substituting? You know, are you just substituting something that's simpler or are you making it unnecessarily more complex? Or are you actually um, getting students to do something that they couldn't have done without that tech and achieving uh, deeper learning um, and, you know, more complex learning essentially through using the technology? So it's really thinking about purposeful use of technology and teaching and learning is so, so important and constantly kind of, I think, constantly learning as well, like. And, and experimenting and trying and not being afraid to kind of make mistakes is, is just really important as well in this particular uh, world that we're living in, yep. um, you know, not kind of locking ourselves away in a cave. I mean, even even the teachers, the, the teachers always need to, to keep learning. And I think someone told me a phrase the other day that the day you stop learning is the day you should retire. Uh, we always need to be hungry. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm actually I'm so excited to interact and engage with you is uh, through this Educate conference coming up. So I, give me some context on what, what is the Educate conference, SDGs for Global Citizenship. Um, it is, I know it, it's coming up this, you know, in this week, um, yep. so this will probably be aired after the fact, but what are some ways that people can get involved after the fact and, and kind of what are you hoping yep. to happen after this event? Yeah, awesome. Well, um, within Clubhouse, there's kind of what are called clubs and there's lots of different people who have their own clubs and um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have the Global Citizenship and um, Global Competence Club, but also I'm very actively involved in Educate. And Educate is probably the most active education club um, on Clubhouse for school 
school educators. Um, there are other clubs doing, you know, various things, absolutely, but there's a whole lot of regular talks. And this is a great way to find people all over the world and experts in specific areas because people host regular weekly talks um, or, you know, sporadic talks. Um, we decided we've been doing a few uh, what we call conferences where we do sessions sort of back to back over a weekend, two or three days. Um, and when we were sort of planning a while ago, I, I'm very passionate, as it's probably become obvious, about global citizenship. Um, and so uh, we were talking about sustainability and I was like, well, I can kind of see those two married with the SDGs. I think the other, the other reason that um, we decided to go with the SDGs for global citizenship was because I was constantly surprised. I was in Clubhouse and I was meeting a lot of educators, really engaged, really smart, really passionate educators. And I'd mention the SDGs and they'd say, oh, what's that? Oh, yeah, I think I've heard about that. And um, for the conference, we have three aims. The first aim is to raise awareness of the SDGs. Um, so even before the event and even after the event, uh, we've done that. Like the number of educators in the pre-weeks and the planning, we've been running rooms to build up to the conference, um, are like looking at the SDG websites, are looking at the Teach SDGs, are saying, hey, I didn't realise I can link this unit of work to this. Um, number two is to promote action towards the SDGs, and we're really hoping we can get some nice uh, partnerships coming out of this conference, some uh, classroom-to-classroom partnerships. Um, there is a big uh, movement called Teach the SDGs, and we've got a couple of their ambassadors coming along, uh, and we've got a room in the in the conference called Teach the SDGs. Um, and then the third one is to provide resources to educators to actually embed it in their teaching and learning because um, primarily it is an intersection of the sustainability crew. We've got sustainability rooms with more general ideas about, you know, recycling and um, versus reusing, um, sustain it, living sustainably, um, different kind of frameworks for sustainability. We've got all these different rooms that experts are running. Uh, we've got educators who care about sustainability um, and we've got the SDG crew. We've got um, a, a gentleman joining us who worked on the original SDGs and one of the talks. Um, so we've got all these different talks, all this intersection of different people. And really the idea is to kind of start raising awareness and uh, encouraging people to take action um, because, of course, coming back to our earlier point, you know, the world is changing. It's changing so fast. And when we talk about global citizenship, um, yes, it's learning about others. It's learning about the world. It's having intercultural experiences. But it's also about taking action. If we do not take action, the problems that we're all facing will not get solved. And as educators, uh, we've got to be helping our students become great problem solvers um, using, you know, pedagogy like project-based learning to help to help them uh, with that. So the event's on. Um, after the event, there will probably be a whole load of rooms. Uh, we're encouraging everyone who runs a room at the conference to schedule a room after so that, um, you know, when we're in these conferences, everybody gets very excited. And so we want to say, hey, we're going to do something else on this topic next week or in the next couple of weeks. So please join Clubhouse, check out Educate. Um, and I run a regular room every week called Big Ideas um, with a very lovely gentleman called Sam Goodman, um, who's up in Beijing. And we, we touch on different ideas every week. So we're always there on a, on a Thursday, Friday. 
I love it. Well, I'm excited to uh, on this Friday night to be part of the storytelling for the SDGs and helping out with some of the aspects of the curriculum and the education for the SDGs. And um, overall, just it just fires me up because I this past year was my my entry point into education. I, I was an adjunct professor at DePaul University for a class called Developing Sustainable Strategies, and and I, I really enjoyed it. It was a huge challenge for me to figure out you know, how to develop a curriculum, how to teach, and how to engage. And I just remember thinking about my education and I had some teachers that was follow the rubric, you know, death by PowerPoint. And, and I think acknowledging that today there are so many ways to learn um, the global, the world is so connected and we need to have this global citizenship lens in order to um, make, make the future of the world uh, more, more, more global, more worldly and, and accepting of other cultures and acknowledging that, there are differences and those differences make us strong. Um, but I think probably the most important thing that you mentioned was creating problem solvers. Uh, education is not about creating a student that can just answer a question on a test, but actually creating someone that can encounter a problem and figure out how to do something with it. Um, so with that whole aspect of creating a problem solver and, and, and sort of seeding that future change maker, as you've said, like what, what are your thoughts in terms of some other best cases or best practices or case studies and how um, what other people in the classroom or aspiring educators can do to really approach how to create problem solvers as opposed mm. to just teaching to a standard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first thing I kind of really want to acknowledge is that teachers work within the systems that they're in. So, um, you know, we really encourage educators to uh, work uh, with pedagogies, with uh, teaching approaches that develop these soft skills because we know that the future is about soft skills. Ironically, soft skills are the hardest to <laughs> develop, um, but we do need uh, pedagogies that help students develop this. So what does that look like in the classroom? Well, we've got to kind of have open-ended learning. We've got to have cross-curricular learning. We've got to have authentic contacts. And earlier um, we were talking about this whole school approach, this whole school transformation and one of the things that I, um, when I'm working with schools, we, we talk about and, and we set goals towards and um, schools start to implement is uh, links between the community and, and parents and the community, not just, not just parents. But, um, you know, we have huge resources right on our doorsteps and, and we don't need to be looking externally out to the other side of the world. Um, necessarily, we have people who want to come in and share their skills with our students. We have local organisations who are working globally, who are working on these problems every single day. Um, the other day, I, I read a, a great blog by a gentleman called Peter Hutton from the Future Schools Alliance, who does very interesting work. Um, and the essence of the post is that schools today look nothing like the workplaces that our students are going to go into. And so if we're really thinking about that, we've got to think about not just, you know, project-based learning, which is so important, not just developing these, these skills, um, but also the partnerships that we have. And, and you know, um, can the students be working on real real community issues and if we're getting local community organizations businesses parents coming in um, and we're forging those partnerships and yes of course they can be so i think the first step essentially is kind of looking at 
your curriculum. Um, and I think too, with a lot of this where people say, I can't add one more thing in, don't give me something else. In Australia, we hear a lot about the crowded curriculum. Um, we're not adding, we're not adding more in. What we're doing is we're just changing the way that you uh, teach, the way that you approach this work. Um, you can still be keeping those topics, but you can be keeping them inquiry-based. You can be changing them to project-based. Um, students, you know, talk about students' choice and voice. Students can be choosing how they do the work and what the final product looks like, and you can keep the same topic. Um, so kind of just, yeah, reflecting on our own teaching and learning um, and looking at the pedagogies we use, looking at the local communities, um, and as always, uh, making sure that we're kind of infusing that global lens um, to make sure that we're developing global citizenship through everything that we do. Great, great context. All things, all, all things, global citizenship, and, and that that really helps paint a good picture. And um, as as we've talked a lot about the SDGs throughout this podcast, I think it would be useful to actually pull it back quickly to the actual SDGs, and in particular SDG for quality education is one that is is talked about a lot uh, in, in debated in in boardrooms and education rooms and clubhouse rooms all over. Um, but I'd love to kind of hear a high level thought from you on some of the particular challenges and opportunities to SDG four. Uh, you've already talked a lot about some of the aspects of resources and technologies and ingrained in their own ways and the school not representing the workforce. Um, but get, getting grass uh, kind of into the weeds of the actual SDG, what are some of your thoughts in regards to SDG for challenges and opportunities? Mm, yeah, thank you. Um, and of course, you know, teach the SDGs. What a great, what a great kind of context to essentially developing global citizenship and, and helping our students have real life context. Because I think essentially, if you ask students what they care about, what they're passionate about, it is already one of those SDGs. And if they know that there are people all over the world working on them, there is, you know, a unifying uh, force them. So SDG 4, um, number 4.7 is obviously the one that I'm really passionate about. And, and, I'll just, and I'll just read that before I answer your question. So by 2030, ensure that all learners acquire the knowledge and skills needed to promote sustainable development, including, among others, education for sustainable development and sustainable lifestyles, human rights, gender equality, promotion of peace, a culture of peace, and nonviolent global citizenship and appreciation of cultural diversity and of culture's contribution to sustainable development. So there's huge challenges around um, with number four, obviously many of these things, many of these things. And I, and I really have to also acknowledge that when we're talking about SDG 4, SDGs uh, 1 to 5 uh, is essentially about equity and access, you know, from, you know, preschool all the way through to tertiary, adult literacy. Um, and, of course, we, we need um, education to be universally offered, to, to be able to be accessible. And, obviously, we know that um, the COVID pandemic has put, I think they say it's been putting some systems back almost 10 years is, unfortunately. So there's going to be huge challenges in these areas, absolutely. And that's where if we're having global collaborations, students as problem solvers and they're starting to learn about, you know, challenges faced in other parts of the world, they can be starting to kind of solve these problems together. 
if we're coming to 4.7 um, and we look at the world that we're living in right now, we're looking at a post-pandemic world, we're coming out of this pandemic, hopefully, um, or sort of still in the, in the midst of it. Um, some of these things around, um, you know, appreciation of cultural diversity, unfortunately, we've seen, you know, a, a huge backlash and, and, and against race and racism in, in this area. Um, I think the sustainable development piece is huge, okay? Our, our planet is under pressure. Um, and how do we ensure that our education systems are teaching the skills needed to help students be problem solvers? STEAM is an obvious huge piece here. You know, STEAM is, is, is problem solving um, a, a curriculum piece. But, yeah, I think, I think that um, tech is obviously, we've talked a lot about tech, it's the kind of the flip side of the coin. It can be a huge enabler. It can be a disabler. Um, and I think the other, the other thing that um, I just kind of wanted to touch on in terms of 4.7 is that PISA, that do the international testing every three years. Um, in 2015, they taught a new subject that never taught before called global competence. Um, so, again, uh, what we're starting to see from the top down is an acknowledgement. And, and if, in the next three years, they'll be teaching other, sorry, they'll be assessing what, other soft what skills. What is global competence and how, how is that measured? Ah, excellent. Well, global competence is, it was the first year that they did it. So it's definitely, it's similar to global citizenship. They have four dimensions, which are the ones that often come up in global uh, citizenship. And what we, what we see with those is um, we see the knowledge, values, attitudes, and skills. We uh, basically see the understanding, the uh, appreciative of different perspectives. We see examining local and intercultural issues, um, engaging in intercultural dialogue. And we see, of course, that last piece we've talked about, taking action. Um, now, with global competence, the assessment was about their understanding and knowledge of world issues and, and um, events and problems. But also there was a section that was around the soft skills that was um, around a self-assessment piece, um, around empathy, respect, understanding. Um, so it was the first year they did it. It's a, a huge piece uh, of um, action that I think uh, is very encouraging for educators because traditionally PISA is, uh, you know, the R's, is the, the reading the maths, the science, it's the heart, those kind of traditional subjects. And they're saying, hey, the soft skills matter and we're going to, the OECD is acknowledging this and introducing this as a subject. So global competence for PISA, um, 2018 was the first year it was assessed. Um, and it assessed students' capacity to examine local global and intercultural issues, their ability to engage in open, appropriate and in effective interactions with people of different cultures and to act collect for collective well-being and sustainable development. So there's that action piece again at the, at the end. Um, so it's the first year they did it. I think that they'll be reviewing it. They'll be um, changing a few things. But, yeah, a huge kind of encouraging piece going on there. That's great. And obviously, there's there's a lot of different initiatives going on to to accomplish some of these projects. But I think hearing you talk about that example, I think just gives gives us all hope that there's uh, you know we are making progress here. And and actually, one one point I wanted to to bring up was at the beginning of four point seven, and a lot of the SDGs we hear by twenty thirty in twenty thirty. You know, and 
it's uh, you know September twenty twenty one. Technically, twenty thirty is is just just a little over eight years away, um, and that's something that I think often about. Is like, well, I know we've made progress, but it, were the are the goals that we set for twenty thirty too high? Uh, is it is it achievable? Like where like what? And I know you obviously mentioned the, the challenges that COVID's created, but when you hear that by twenty thirty mark, um, does that like does that make you cringe, or do you think, hey, no, I, you know, glass half full, we can do this? Um, like what, what are your thoughts when you hear about the the timeline behind trying to accomplish all these different seventeen SDGs? Yeah, great question. Um, I'm an optimist. I'm I'm always an optimist. The glass is always half full, but the way I look at it is um, they're goals. They are something to aim for. And if we don't aim, and we, and we know this from educational research, if you have high expectations of students, they reach to lift them. If you have low expectations, sometimes they exceed them. Um, but, you know, if, I think we can all be having high expectations of ourselves and, and of humanity and of each other you know, of our collective action. So, yes, huge kind of um, things to be aiming for in, in nine years. And, and you know, they'll obviously have to do another round because many of these things were not, probably will not be achieved in, in the nine years. Hopefully we haven't gone backwards on, on some of them um, with the pandemic, but, you know, everything is constantly evolving. And um, the fact that they exist, the fact that there are people all over the world actively in businesses um, and government organisations and not-for-profits and NGO in the media such as you in the in the classrooms and schools such as me um, coming together and collectively saying we want this to be a better planet than the you know the one that we came into we we want to help solve some of these issues and problems I think is um, very very encouraging. And I think that we have to work hard. We have to keep educating each other. We have to keep spreading the message. Um, sometimes it's a lonely. Those things are a bit lonely. Uh, but we, we find each other. We find our tribes. Um, and we just keep going. We find the people that are, that are doing that work. And, and we support and uplift each other. I mean, no one said any of this would be easy. And, and I do agree that it's good to have these, these macro goals where it's better to, to, have, to shoot for the moon shoot for the moon as opposed to sandbag here. And, and I think probably the most important thing you talked about is, is collaboration and teamwork through this, where I, my, the thing I try and live by is, is just making progress every day, every week in, in leveraging partnerships, because I think we all need to acknowledge we can't do it all ourselves. Um, you do need to know where you fit into that puzzle. And um, I think you've, you've painted such a good picture of all the different organizations that you've supported throughout your life, as well as where you are now. Um, so I'd like to just maybe kind of parlay on that thought of how to get involved with you or your work or if someone to connect with you, like, what would you say are the, the biggest things you'd recommend to a, an aspiring global citizen, uh, and particularly from an education lens, like where, where do you start? Um, and what, what would you rec- what would you say to someone that's trying to make positive change towards the SDGs? Yeah, great question. Um, get educated, read lots of things. Uh, there's, you know, I'm happy to provide some recommendations of, of books. Um, look for professional learning 
that um, whether it's kind of more formal, whether it's a course or whether that is informal through reading a book or listening to a podcast. I think the most important thing is finding, as I mentioned earlier, a professional learning network, which is, you know, the find your tribe um, aspect of this. We all, we all need a support system. We all need to be working collaboratively together. Um, when I am putting on the SDGs for Global Citizenship uh, Conference, uh, then I am looking at that wider support network and, and who wants to be involved. And, and there's lots of people, you know, many hands make light work. Absolutely. So I think uh, professional learning on the social media networks, uh, there is a way that it, <laughs> tech is used for good. Um, there is a massive community on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Lottie Dowling NZ, um, Clubhouse. Join that. I've got a going global Facebook group that anybody can join if they want to. Um, and it's about information sharing. It's about supporting each other. It's um, about connecting educators. Um, and, you know, I, I'm always happy to talk to people who are really interested in building global citizenship, you know, maybe in their classrooms or maybe in more of a whole school kind of approach um, and starting those conversations. Awesome, Lottie. Well, I am excited to be part of the Educate Conference this upcoming weekend, as well as just continuing to collaborate on all things curriculum and storytelling and, and just changing the game with all things SDG4. Uh, there's the, the future of our world depends on the, the students in the classroom now. Uh, and we need to really make sure that they're, they're global citizens that are problem solvers and I'm excited to do that alongside you and challenge everyone that's listening to reach out to me, but particularly reach out to Lottie. Lottie is an incredible resource that I've learned a lot from. So make sure to take advantage of, of the show notes in here. And, and Lottie, I guess just kind of final comments from you. Any, anything uh, final call to action or uh, one final thing you or challenge anyone that you would like to make before we close out here? Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's always great to chat and I'll see you in a clubhouse room soon. Um, and I welcome, I, I'm a very collaborative person. I love meeting people who are passionate or just interested about this work or just want to start. So reach out to me. Um, and I would actually like to finish with um, a quote by Irina Bokova, who's the former Director General of UNESCO. There is no more powerful transformative force than education to promote human rights and dignity, to eradicate poverty and deepen sustainability, to build a better future for all founded on equal rights and social justice, respect for cultural diversity and international solidarity and shared responsibility, all of which are fundamental aspects of our common humanity. It gave, it gave me the chills. That's a good <laughs> quote. I'm, I'm going to have to make sure that's in the show notes too. So th thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. And, and Lottie, I, I, on behalf of the SDG Talks community and, and all the change makers around the world, thank you for the work that you're doing and, and keep, keep it up. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And I'll see you soon somewhere. <laughs> yeah, talk soon. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of SDG Talks as much as we did. Check out the show notes for all the resources and please reach out if you think you're a good fit for an interview or have another idea for collaboration. Catch you next time and make sure to keep on SDG talking.